Let's pray as we begin. Holy Spirit, we ask that you open your word to us and open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for us today, Lord God, individually and corporately. Set our hearts and minds on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever needed a letter of recommendation? It's certainly not an uncommon thing. You may have needed one if you were applying for a job and trying to get into the pool of candidates or maybe even a program of study, trying to convince them that you are worth their time to educate or what have you. It might be a little awkward to ask for one depending on the relationship you have with uh, the individual that you need it from. But what if your life depended on it? And what if further, you had to deliver it? That's a similar scenario to the one we actually see in today's passage. Today's verses are actually a complete letter from Paul, and it's perhaps his most personal. It's written in the style of a commendation in his time on behalf of a man named Onesimus. And while it's brief, it is a weighty letter with uh, robust implications for our spiritual lives, in which Paul advocates for Onesimus whose life in one form or other, however you view it, hangs in the balance. Now, there are a lot of considerations that we have to walk through to, con- to translate it for our time and place, but Paul's plea in this letter encourages the reader to examine their obedience to Christ, as well as their motives for that obedience. And at the same time, it invites us into an expectation of what we should see the gospel accomplish in our lives and in our communities. Now, as beautifully as the letter is written, it is one of the most difficult letters for, it's one of the most difficult of Paul's letters for modern readers to digest, so to speak. First, as with much of Paul's writings, it's written to a specific scenario. Paul does not generally spit out random theology. He's speaking to times and places, often answering specific inquiries or speaking to specific scenarios. And this letter is no different. But the most difficult aspect of the letter is that a fundamental reality to the scenario that he's addressing is the reality of slavery in the Roman world. Now that is a, it's a sensitive and complex issue, even as we explore it in its context in the Roman Empire, and especially as we seek to see how it connects to slavery in, in our country's history and even today. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time than usual on background, because it's important that we explore these things in order to really apply the letter. And so in advance, if there is something that I handle and don't give the attention you think it deserves, or if I handle it insensitively in in advance, I ask you to forgive me and please get in touch with me. Let me know so we can discuss it. But first we have to understand what is happening before we look at 
the complexities of the letter in light of our distance from it. And here's what we can most likely piece together from the letter as to what is actually going on. Generally speaking, these are the details most people agree is happening. The letter is by Paul to Philemon. Philemon is the host of, if not a leader, within the church, either in or near Colossia. It might even be the same church Colossians was written to. Philemon is also a slave owner, and Onesimus is his slave. Onesimus runs away from Philemon and goes to the Apostle Paul, likely encountering him while he was in prison or on house arrest. There's some disagreement as to which occasion this is. And while he is there, he's likely seeking advocacy from Paul or intervention to some degree. And while he's there, he comes to faith in the Lord. He may have, after this, even assisted Paul with some of his gospel work that he was trying to accomplish. But eventually, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter and its plea. He is essentially asking in the letter that Onesimus and Philemon be reconciled and that Onesimus' actions not be held against him. At the same time, he appears to be asking that Onesimus be allowed to help Paul in his work. There is some disagreement as to whether Paul is implying he should be freed. People disagree on that. Unfortunately, we don't get, and it's important to note, we don't get an explicit request for Onesimus' freedom from Paul. As to what happened next, we don't know. We can only speculate. There are some individuals named Onesimus in the history of the church soon after and found in other pages in the other, other of Paul's writings. Some speculate it's the same one. We don't know. It was a common name. But regardless, the first and most difficult thing for modern readers is that this letter is not an essay of abolitionism that we would like to see from an apostle like Paul or even other New Testament writers. In fact, throughout the New Testament writings, we don't get writing equivalent to what we would call, in today's terms, abolitionism. The closest we get is in 1 Timothy 1.10. We see slave traders amongst a list of what of other sins that Paul names, as he names people that he characterizes as rebels or lawbreakers. And then in 1 Corinthians 7.21, even after telling slaves not to be bothered by their condition, he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Unfortunately and tragically, the church, even the church has taken license with the lack of explicit condemnation of slavery as an institution to even defend the practice in other times and places. However, it's also worth recognizing that while people have done that in the church, the very Christian principles in the same pages were at the core of abolitionism in support of abolishing slavery, even in our country's history. 
And simply put, if you take the witness of Scripture, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. And you cannot love God with your entire being and keep your neighbor in a state of oppression. Whether that's, in, whether that's via slavery, whether that's via economic exploitation, or whether that's through abuse, or what have you. Let me state that explicitly. It's also important to note this is not just an issue of history. It's not even just an issue of history in this country. The United Nations estimates there are 21 million people held in slavery today, even in spite of it being illegal on paper in most countries. It's not even a distant issue. It's estimated there are 60,000 individuals in the United States held in a state of slavery under the, under the radar of the law. Paul's tone in this letter does not excuse us from having to work toward justice in our day. And it does not reduce sin to merely a personal matter. On the contrary, Paul's affirmation of Onesimus' humanity and his push for reconciliation invites us as the church to the continual work of reconciliation which very much requires justice in our communities and our world. Now, in order to understand why Paul takes the... Why Paul writes in the manner that he does, it helps to first understand the similarities and difference between slavery in his day and in ours. First, the common ground to slavery across human history, whether in Paul's day or in ours, is dehumanization. Seeing people as property and not as humans. And while some have tried to use the differences between Paul's day and ours, to soften our view of the passages, it needs to be understood that the brutality of slavery in our history was still present in the Roman Empire, even if it was at a different level of prevalence, on the basis of viewing humans as property. That being said, there are significant differences. The practice in Paul's day was not perpetuated on the myth of ethnic or racial inferiority, Slaves were often not identifiable, even by dress or ethnicity or occupation. And generally, within the Roman Empire, there was more opportunity for access to freedom. That does not mean it was easy, and it does not mean that life was easy after freedom was attained. Primarily, the biggest difference is that slavery was woven into the fabric of the society to a far greater extent in the empire, in the Roman Empire. That does not excuse the practice. But all that is to say, the writers of the New Testament did not have the same lens of slavery as an institution that we do, let alone the same lens of what we now call abolitionism. And so instead, they write far more with the intent of affecting human relationships even between slave and master, through the gospel, expecting those realities to take root at the church level and work their way into society. And so instead subvert slavery as an ideology rather than an institution. 
affirming the humanity of slaves and seeking transformation in their relationships, even with their masters, which was very revolutionary for the time. That being said, again, the witness of Scripture very much works toward human freedom. Even in, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, Paul says there is no slave or free before Christ because both are equal. And very much we should be working toward the same reality today. As much, now, all, in light of all those difficulties, how Paul writes to Philemon does a lot to inform us on why Christians adhere to the principles of the gospel and what's at the heart of our behavior. And the first and most important thing we can take from Paul's words is love. Love is at the core of all we do as Christians. Regardless of his motives or methods, Paul approaches Philemon in love. Paul expresses love for Onesimus, and he invites Philemon into the same. Even as he writes to Philemon, he re recognizes his faith. In verses 4 to 7, he re recognizes Philemon's love for God's people, his prayers, and, and he mentions his prayers for Philemon and the joy Paul has because of, as he puts it, Philemon's refreshment of the Lord's people. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Being an apostle, Paul could tell Philemon what to do. But instead, he appeals to him on the basis of love. He tells him later in verse 14, I did not want anything, I did not want you to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Out of Paul's love for Philemon, he is giving him a chance to do the right thing, to live out his faith, rather than to do it out of compulsion or force. Force might get people to do something, but it will not change people, not for the better. I used to watch a show about, um, that followed the true story of a, com uh, uh, a company of paratroopers in uh, World War II, and they had a very harsh commanding officer who was unnecessarily harsh during training, even more so than the other companies. And on the eve of battle, it gets to the point where the, soldier, where the sergeants refuse their assignments as sergeants, and they refuse to follow him into battle, even though it could have cost them their lives on the grounds of mutiny. Long story short, they get a new commanding officer. But later, even, even as, as they fight battle after battle after battle, you see them do amazing feats out of love. One of, the, one, of the, one of the ones that sp spoke to me the deepest was how wounded soldiers would escape from the hospital before their rehabilitation was done so that they could go back to the front lines and fight alongside the men they knew, loved them, and that they loved. The people they knew would die for them. Their behavior is very different with a person who acted in force than in love. Love should be the primary motivator for all our obedience to Christ. It is in response to the love that God has showed us in redeeming us to himself 
through Christ Jesus, that we express our love to God in obedience, primarily shown in our love for others. How that love, how that is accomplished, is that love, particularly in our relationships with one another, love seeks God's view of reality. From a human standpoint, in his, within his society, Philemon doesn't have any reason to listen to Paul. According to the laws of his society, he has been wronged and is free to deal with Onesimus however he sees fit. Paul invites him to see the spiritual realities as a means of reconciling the two. He, he, Paul speaks of Onesimus as his own son. And he invites Philemon to even recognize God's providence in him in their being together, and in, in, in Onesimus being separated from Philemon, perhaps so that they can now have an eternal relationship, far more valuable than the one they had before. No longer a slave and master, but as brothers in the Lord. And Paul asks Philemon to receive. Onesimus as he would Paul, reflecting the realities that regardless of the class labels that their society would place on them, and their society is very aware of class, in Christ, the three of them, apostle, slave, slave owner, are equals. And Paul is inviting Philemon to recognize this. The gospel also invites us to consider that what we do is bigger than us. Seeking reconciliation, even in our personal relationships, it's a bigger deal than just us. Even us and the other individual. If you notice, this church is not, this letter is written not just to Philemon, but with the intention of being heard by at least the other church leaders, if not the church itself. Because this relationship very much affects the church community. The entire church family that they're a part of, that both of them are a part of. Ultimately, Philemon's actions are encouraged to be done in light of the grace that we receive. In light of God's grace. That's where our love comes from. Our love for God and our love for others is in response to God's grace. At a personal level, Paul requests that whatever Onesimus cost him, whether it's simply by his absence or because of things that he may have took from Philemon, he says, charge it to me. And then reminds Philemon of his personal debt to Paul. Paul off Paul's offer reflects the reality of Christ paying our debt to God by atoning for our sins. And that reality should continually shape how we view our relationships. Paul's sign-off in the letter is very appropriate. It's similar to what he does in other places. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And when you have been given grace by the God to whom you owe everything, what debt can be held over another human's head? 
regardless of whether the lens of that debt is just or unjust. Living this way, out of love, seeking God's view, in light of God's grace, ultimately doing so invites us to expect transformation because love transforms. Unfortunately, I thought of that after I got the slides in, and so if you are taking notes, feel free to add that to the list. Love transforms. It transforms us, it transforms others, it transforms our communities. The power of the gospel gives us the hope of eternal life, but it shapes us in how we live now. Front and center to this reality of expecting transformation is the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. In light of the grace of Jesus Christ, Paul makes his appeal in expectation that the two can be reconciled, which is a very different reality than what society would expect. Further, he appears to be requesting that a runaway slave who had no rights in his own society become a fellow servant of the gospel. Now, if that's a big deal for Philemon, it's a bigger deal for Onesimus, whose life hangs in the balance. At the very least, he could be facing severe punishment. If Philemon doesn't have a reason to obey Paul, Onesimus has even less reason to take this letter back to Philemon. The fact that we have this letter probably testifies to the, to the truth that Onesimus bet his life on the gospel truth, that the gospel, that the grace of God can transform relationships, even his own relationship with Philemon. The gospel does not give up on people, and the gospel does not give up on relationships. The grace that gives us the hope of the life to come gives us hope and transformation in our lives now. And we should expect our own lives and our communities of faith to be places of reconciliation, places that work for justice, places that work toward freedom and toward people experiencing the grace of God themselves. in no small part, by living this way. If Philemon recognizes, reconciles with Onesimus out of compulsion, nothing in him changes. But if he does it out of love, then he is closer to the love of Christ. Transformation happens. The transformation we seek in ourselves, in our communities, and ultimately our world happens when we act in love in response to the grace we've been given. And Onesimus delivering this letter invites us to bet on that. We follow a Lord who became one of us to live like one of us and yet to die like the worst of us even though he himself had no sin, so that we might be forgiven our sins and have the hope of eternal life by his grace.
The proper response to that reality, when you continually hold that reality in front of you, the proper response is to live a life that acts in love. And when we do, we can expect lives to change. Our own, the lives of others. Maybe in their interactions with us, maybe the more so as they encounter the love of God. Or even follow Jesus for themselves for the first time. And even more so in our communities. And when that happens, they will, our communities, our churches will testify to the love and the power of the God we serve. And the love and the power of the gospel that we base our lives on. Let's continue worshiping our Lord.